Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. I trust everyone had a good Thanksgiving. I know our family did. Probably consumed more turkey than you should have. That's all right. Uh, It's actually the first Thanksgiving uh, we've traveled since we moved to Indiana about six years ago. But Shelly's family was trying to get together in Tennessee, so we joined them in that endeavor and had a great time together. Played our first ever turkey bowl. It was a good time. Um, The kids didn't want it to end, but eventually it gets dark and we should end, you know? Uh, But it was was a good time. Uh, But one of the things we did is uh, we won't see her family for for the Christmas time, so they exchanged some gifts while we were there. And and one of those gifts went to our youngest, our nine-year-old Lucas. It was a skateboard. So he got a skateboard. And uh, he got a helmet, too, so I was happy for that. You know, so he's got a skateboard and a helmet. And, uh, um, and of course, as soon as he opened it, then he wanted to go out and use it, right? And it went well, so that's not the point of the story. Um, <laughs> but, but the whole point is this, that when you have a gift, it doesn't do a whole lot of good if it stays wrapped, right? Who keeps Christmas gifts wrapped up and doesn't open them and discover what they are and use them? I, I, don't, I don't know anybody that does that, especially kids. You know, they want to know the moment they see it. But that's also the same thing that we should have in Christ. That it turns out when Jesus ascended to heaven, he comes, you know, which is something that we celebrate this time of year, Emmanuel, God with us. So he comes as God in the flesh. He dies on the cross for our sins. He, he raises from the dead and defeats sin, death, and the devil. And then he ascends to heaven 40 days later. And when he ascended, he gave gifts to man, it says in scripture. And what I find curious is, if I talk to a believer, sometimes they don't know what that gift is. And even if they do know what it is, sometimes they're not using it. But can I tell you this morning, God has given you a gift. He means for you to unwrap it. He means for you to use it. And so that's what we want to get into today as we continue our series in Ephesians uh, with about who are we? Well, it turns out that we're gifted, but we're also heard. And, and so if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. New Testament, Ephesians is where we're going to be at. We're going to finish chapter 3, get into chapter 4, and, and continue to unpack who we are in Christ. We are lots of wonderful things in Christ. It's, it's incredible promises we have in him, and, and we don't want to miss one of them. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 14, finish uh, that third chapter, get into the fourth. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14 and getting into chapter 4, here's what Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him 
be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a great prayer. I'm going to keep reading, but that's a great prayer. (laughs) Chapter four, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Man, I could spend a lot of time there, but I won't. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth and love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we've been working through the New Testament book of Ephesians, defining what it means to be in Christ as followers of Jesus. And what we've discovered is that in Christ, we are blessed saints who can endure affliction and who are appreciated, saved, and reconciled. That's a pretty good list. And I love that we get to keep adding to it. And from our passage this morning, what we also find is we are heard. We are heard. So the section of scripture we open with today, it's it's a prayer. And I think it's pretty easy to see that. It's a prayer from Paul to the believers in Ephesus. And it's important to understand there's no such thing as a faithful Christian church without a praying Christian people. There's not. A people who gather to pray on Sunday mornings in the prayer room from 845 to 945. A people who gather to pray on Sunday evenings in the prayer room from 6 to 730. I I was in the announcements. We don't have prayer this Sunday night, so don't come tonight. That doesn't mean you can't pray. Um, But we're going to usually meet in the prayer room Sunday evenings. I think we'll start again on December 12th doing that. It's important that we be a people who pray the first Friday of every month in this sanctuary from 6.30 to 9.30. You're invited to First Friday Prayer for December. That's this Friday. You're welcome to come and be a part of that prayer time for whatever part you can. And this matters because it is prayer that sustains the health, growth, and life of a church. It really does. Because there's no such thing as a faithful Christian church without a praying Christian people. And I would say this, as your pastor, if there's an area of growth for this body, I would say it's in the area of prayer. We do have faithful people here who pray, 
but I also think we could increase the number of faithful people here who pray. And so I just want to encourage you, come and join one of these corporate times of prayer. It will change who you are and how you walk with Jesus. It really will. So then what kind of prayer do we see Paul praying in this section of scripture? Well, we see Paul praying a very personal prayer. Prayer is personal. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. So we can sit and pray. We can stand and pray. We can pray while we're walking or driving. We can even pray while we're lying down. But prayer from a kneeling position, it speaks of humility and surrender. This is a really important posture in prayer. It wasn't common during the times of Paul. Most prayers were standing. So for Paul to kneel, that's a a big deal. He's humbly and personally praying for the church in Ephesus. And there's a couple of important things to know uh, regarding how personal prayer is. Number one, God always personally answers our prayers. Some people might argue, well, I prayed and God didn't answer me. Sure he did. He simply may have given you a no or a not yet. (laughs) God answers prayer three ways. Yes, no, and not yet. God always answers. And we won't always know why God answers the way he does, but we can be confident he personally hears and answers our prayers. That's what God does. And we can know he answers in the best way possible because he knows everything. We think we do sometimes, but we don't. So when we pray, we can trust that God is hearing and answering our prayers. The second thing we need to understand is how personal prayer is, is in regards to what happens in prayer. Personal things happen. Prayer is oftentimes about personally changing us. It's usually not about getting God to do something. And maybe this is the reason, I was thinking about this, that we sometimes don't pray. Because I think sometimes we know this. We know prayer is often about changing us, but in the end, we don't want to change. And so we think, well, I don't necessarily want to go to God in prayer. But because God knows best, he knows whether we or our circumstances need to change. He does. Sometimes it's us, and sometimes it is our circumstances, which is another reason that we need to pray. Because Jesus teaches the disciples he, to pray, God, your will be done. And Jesus wouldn't teach his disciples to pray that way if God's will was already being done. So what this means is, is we need to pray so that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That God's will does not automatically happen on earth. So prayer is this incredible partnership with God saying, God, we are seeking you for this, asking your will to be done. So we should pray, right? Man, we should pray. Another reason we should pray is because it keeps us from grumbling and gossiping. Grumbling is when we're unhappy and talking about it. I want us to think about the conditions of Paul for a moment, who's praying this prayer. He's in a Roman prison. Google that. Horrible conditions. His body is broken, and he's on his knees, which is not necessarily a comfortable position to pray in. There's a lot that Paul could grumble about, but he's not grumbling. He's praying. When we hit difficult circumstances, the question is, will we grumble and complain or will we pray? And I say, let's choose prayer. And in prayer, be honest with our Heavenly Father. He knows what we're going through, so you don't have to, you know, filter anything. Just pray to God. Grumble to Him. He can hear it. He can. And not only can prayer keep us from grumbling, 
can keep us from gossiping. Gossip is when you talk about someone rather than to them. That's the difference. And you might be frustrated with someone, not know what to say or to do, and when this is the case, allow God to absorb those thoughts and feelings. Allow him to work it out between you and others. Don't blow up on your friend, your neighbor, your kids, your spouse. Let the Lord absorb your frustrations in prayer. He can do it. He can handle it. So prayer is very personal to Paul. But we also find in Scripture that prayer is very relational. Very relational. Paul writes, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So two important things stand out in these verses. There's a family, and there's a father. We are a family, and we have a loving, heavenly father. This is why prayer is relational. And this is important, especially in our culture, because if we're not careful, we can wind up treating the church like a business instead of a family. And the way you know which view you hold is with how you treat the church. If church is a family, you serve somewhere alongside your brothers and sisters. It's what you do. If church is a family, you participate in family gatherings. If church is a family, you make sacrifices to help others. If church is a family, you work through disagreements, because that's what good families do. On the other hand, if church is a business, you likely approach it as a customer, a consumer, a critic, or a complainer. You're looking at how the church can serve you and meet your needs instead of how you can serve in and through the church and be a good family member. There's a difference. In a consumer relationship, otherwise known as a transactional relationship, you're always trying to get the most by giving the least. I hope that doesn't describe your church involvement. Trying to get the most by giving the least. If so, if this is what your habit is, you're probably viewing the church more like a business than a family. And can I say, if that's your view, you're missing out. Man, you're missing out. Because a family, in particular a healthy family, it doesn't operate this way. The church is not a business. It's a family. And so we should pray for our family. I know I do. Both the family I was born into and the family that God has given me. I pray for both of those things. What I don't do is I don't regularly pray for businesses. I don't wake up on a Monday morning, oh God, be with Aldi, my grocery store. I pray for all the fruits and vegetables. I pray the staff would love one another well. I don't pray those prayers. But I will tell you, I wake up on a Monday morning and I'll pray, God, be with our transition team as we review resumes and conduct interviews. Make your good will clear. God, restore marriages. Heal broken relationships. Meet the needs of your people. Help us love one another more. Help your people discover the gifts that you've given them and for them to use their gifts for your kingdom purposes. That's a prayer I'll pray. There's a difference, right? And, And here's what I found. If you're struggling to view the church as family, begin to pray for your church and you'll start to see it as a family. You will. But on the flip side, if you're not praying for your church, you can wind up looking at it like a business. The church is a family. And scripture tells us the whole family is held together by a loving heavenly father. So when we pray, we pray to the father through the son, by the Holy Spirit, 
And when you understand that God is your father, prayer makes a lot of sense because it's simply a conversation with your dad. That's all that prayer is. When I have questions about certain things in life or in work, it is easy for me to call my earthly dad and ask him questions. When my kids, they ask me all kinds of questions, we have all kinds of conversations, it's a very natural and normal thing to do. And so should conversations with our Heavenly Father be. Why? Because he's our dad. So you can approach our loving Heavenly Father in a similar fashion. We don't need certain words or particular scripted prayers. We just need to have a conversation. You, You can pray, God, thank you for my kids. I pray that prayer. God, help me to become more like your son, Jesus so that I could be a better witness to them and an example for them. Like, it's just a conversation with our dad. But I know some of you have had a father who didn't model fatherhood very well, who wasn't really around. And so when I say that prayer is simply a conversation with dad, you might have a hard time with that. And I can understand that. But I also want to put before us, we should never allow the shortcomings of an earthly dad to be projected on our perfectly heavenly father. Can't do that. Because our Heavenly Father promises to never leave us or abandon us. That's what Scripture tells us. A loving Heavenly Father who hears every prayer, Scripture tells us. Scripture says that God is a father to the fatherless. And so that is your identity. No matter who you are, you have a great dad. You have a great dad. And he wants to have conversation with you. And he hears you in prayer. So if you're struggling with prayer, don't focus on prayer. Focus on your Heavenly Father. As you get to know him, prayer starts to happen much more easily. So prayer is personal, it's relational, and this is why it's okay to ask in prayer. That prayer is asking. Paul prays, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul is asking in prayer now. Paul asks that God would be with the believers and strengthen them. Here's the thing. God is independent. He doesn't need anyone or anything. But we are dependent. We need God for everything. And in case you haven't figured that out, I'll just tell you, you need God for everything. We do. Jesus then encourages us to pray as a part of our prayer. Ask for daily bread. We are to ask in prayer. And then Paul, what does he do? He asks that the church that Christ would dwell in their hearts for these believers in Ephesus. So Paul doesn't want Jesus to simply visit them, but instead to dwell with them, to move in and work in their lives. I want you to think about it this way. How many have ever visited a hotel? You stayed in a hotel. There's gotta be more than that. Who has stayed in a hotel? Come on. We were in one this weekend, all right. Now let me ask you, as soon as you checked in, Did you unload your luggage and then drive to Home Depot, get some paint and curtains and curtain rods? Go back to that room and set everything up? No, if you did, the hotel probably wasn't even happy you did that, right? That's not what you do when you're staying in a hotel. But now, how many of you are homeowners? I bet you've been working on that house for a long time. How many worked on it last week? How many worked on it the week before? How many are gonna work on it this week? Happy home ownership. But that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. There's always something to be worked on. And so what Paul is praying is God dwell in them. Be ever changing them. That's what Paul is praying for. What a wonderful prayer. 
Because as Jesus dwells within us, we experience his unending love for us. It says in scripture, the breadth and length and height and depth that the love that God has for us. You know, it wasn't uncommon for believers in the early Christian church to get across and to actually put those four words, breadth, length, height, and depth on each of the four sides of the cross. And they would go back to that verse in memory of our Lord Jesus, who did the greatest act of love in all of human history when Jesus died in our place for our sins. And it's because of the fullness of this love that we can then expect God to do extraordinary things. Because that's where Paul goes next in prayer. Here's what he says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. That is one of my favorite verses for prayer. I love that. Prayer expects, it anticipates that God is going to hear and he's going to answer. That's what prayer does. Prayer is expecting. Whatever we can ask for, God can do far more. Whatever we can think of, God can do far more. Not just more, far more. That's what the scripture is saying. Prayer is this incredible invitation to ask because the person who can do do far more, he's our dad. What dad doesn't want to do far more for their kids? So it seems like we should be asking, right? Seems like we should be praying, amen? We should be. It is incredible for me to think that there's not just a God out there who can do far more, but that we have a heavenly father who adores us, who loves his kids, and who invites us to ask. That's what God does. So this is why we invite you to corporate prayer times. Why? Because we have a dad that expects us to ask and wants to do far more. That's why we gather to pray on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Friday evenings. It's for that reason. Because in prayer, we should be asking and then expecting our dad hears and answers our prayer. And God is not just at work in the world as we pray. He's at work in us. In Christ, we are changed from the inside out. The place where real change occurs, we know outside forces don't change us. Laws don't really change us. But the inside out, that works. And it's only God that can do that work. So if you're in Christ, you are constantly changing. Your thinking is changing. Your desires are changing. Your habits are changing because the power of God is at work in us. And then Paul closes out his prayer To him be glory in the church. So Paul ends his prayer perfectly with the glory of God. He starts it with the fatherhood of God, and then he ends it with the glory of God. Scripture speaks of glory about 275 times. It's a massive theme in Scripture, and it refers to the splendor, the majesty, the holiness, the radiance, the weightiness, the prominence, the worthiness, the superiority of God. That's the glory of God. And so when we pray, what gets revealed is what we have made the glory of our lives. We exist to glorify God, just as fish exist to swim and birds exist to fly because we've been made in his image to reflect him. That's what we were created for. 
This was always God's intent since the beginning of time. St. Augustine in his book, The City of God, he says it best when he writes, once the issue of glory is settled, that is where glory is going, to who and to what deserves it, then everything else is decided. Once we determine in our souls that God's glory is our goal, we stop taking the path of least resistance and start taking the path of most glory to God. I want to say it one more time. Once we determine in our souls God's glory is our goal, we stop taking the path of least resistance and we start taking the path of most glory to God. You don't know what to do in your marriage? It's not what does he want or what does she want. It's what does he want. Not real sure what to do with your business. It's it's not what do you want or what do they want. It's what does he want. Once the issue of glory is resolved, it really works out everything in your life. Because man's chief end is to glorify God in everything and enjoy him forever. That's man's end. And we get in trouble in life when the glory of God is not our aim. And I would say this, to be honest, we have a massive glory problem in our world today. The whole world is addicted to self. It's about me, it's about my hurts, it's about my wants, it's about my needs, it's about my convenience, it's about my reputation, it's about me, me, me. Can I say, it's not. That's why so many people are miserable and they're not doing well. They're not, because we've created me monsters, and it doesn't work. Life is not about us. It's about the glory of God. Life is not about us. It's about the glory of God. It is. And I promise you this. When you live for the glory of God, we have joy, because that's what we're made for. And when we're doing what we've been made for, we're joyful. We're happy. When we're just living for ourselves, we wind up miserable because we weren't made for that. We were made to glorify God. So I would say, I would ask you this question. What is the path for your life that brings God the most glory? And if I'm honest, I think most of us know it. But I also think a lot of us are scared of that path. We are. And here's one reason why. Because we know we don't have the skills, talents, and whatever necessary to go down that path. And I would say, you don't. That's kind of the whole point. If you can go down the path on your own, it's not God's path. If you need God, it's God's path. That's what he does for us. And I want us to think about some of the promises of God. It's not because that path is easy to go down. It's because we serve a God who is great and powerful and who is for us. I love this promise in scripture that says, go and lo, I'm with you always. It's because Jesus is with us we can go down that path. There's no other reason we can go down it because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's for all of these reasons we can go down that path. For none other. And the way we have confidence to go down that path is we become people who pray. So maybe part of the reason you're lacking in confidence to walk that path is because you're not as prayerful as we should be. So I want to encourage you, join us for First Friday prayer. Have conversations with your dad in the morning. He wants to have conversations with you. Even if that's drive time, that's a great time to pray. 
Whatever it is, have those conversations because God wants to meet with you. Because in Christ, you are heard. You're heard. You have a heavenly father who's ready and willing to hear from you. And we also find in Christ, we are gifted. We are gifted. So it's that time of year where we start thinking more about gifts. And, and part of that is because God gave us the ultimate gift in the sending of his son, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you like to give gifts? Yes. It's fun, isn't it? Yes. Do you like to receive gifts? Okay, there's like no yeses in the room. Yes. Do you like to give gifts? Yes. Good. Do you like to receive gifts? Yes. Both are good. All right, that's awesome. <laughs> it's that time of year where we consider those things. And here's what I have found. The more you get to know your heavenly father, the more you like to give like him too. You really do. In fact, the older I get, the more that I see one of the easiest tests of Christian maturity is by looking at the life of a believer and seeing if they're prone to giving or taking. It's a good test of spiritual maturity because the heart of Jesus is of giving and service. So the longer he dwells in us, the more we become like him, and this includes in the area of giving. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that next week with our, our annual message on season of giving, but it's in our passage this morning that Jesus gives. And he gives spiritual gifts, it says. So our passage this morning, here's what it relates. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So God gave Jesus as a gift to teach us and show us how to live, to inaugurate God's rule on earth. And Jesus was crowned king as he died on the cross for our sins, and then he rose from the dead to conquer sin, death, and the devil. And he visited with some of his followers for 40 days before experiencing his kingly coronation as he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And as he ascends, he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit and gives us spiritual gifts to use for the advancement of his kingdom. But now what are those gifts? So I like to put these gifts in three different categories. There's natural gifts, spiritual gifts, and supernatural gifts. Natural gifts are those gifts common to humankind. Because every human is made in the image of God, we are all inherently born with natural gifts and talents. You were born with natural gifts and talents, you were. These are common grace gifts. This is how people who do not follow Jesus still live productive and meaningful lives on some level. I had someone ask me in conversation some months ago, how is it that sometimes unbelievers can be more kind and sincere than believers I encounter? Well, this is why. Because every human is born in the image of God, and because God loves everyone, he gives them all natural gifts and abilities and the knowledge of himself. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 1. That's what he's talking about. And the reason an unbeliever can sometimes come across as more loving and kind than a believer is because of what we've talked about in this series, that in Christ, we are saints. Jesus provides us the power through the Holy Spirit to live as saints, but we still have to choose to walk in it, right? And this is why this happens sometimes. We still have to choose to live in that identity of what it means to be in Christ. Jesus has done his part. He gave us the Holy Spirit, but we still have to walk it out. He provides us the power, but we still have to walk in obedience. Does this make sense? That's how that works. 
Natural gifts and abilities, they could include serving, showing hospitality, leading, giving, administrative gifts, encouraging others, helping those in need, speaking, singing. There's a whole host of natural gifts and abilities that God gives people. And we find these in scripture too. And we all, because we've been made in the image of God, we have natural gifts and abilities. But if we're in Christ, we also have spiritual gifts. What I've labeled as spiritual gifts is what we find here in Ephesians chapter four. They can easily be remembered by the acronym APEST. Not that you're a pest, but APEST is an easy way to remember what those are. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. APEST. These gifts are given differently to every believer in varying measure when they make a decision to follow Jesus. Every believer gets a gift. If you're in Christ, you've been given spiritual gifts or gifts from this list. So I want to walk through these, and I want you to think about which one of those gifts that God may have given you. If you function apostolically, you're likely drawn to serve in places in desperate need of change or in places where the church has little or no influence. That's an apostolic gift. For those who function prophetically, they have a strong desire to see people living according to God's word. So they have an eye for misalignment in the church. So you function prophetically. Evangelists are people who invite and gather. They recruit people, have a natural ability to share the gospel in relevant ways. Is that you? Shepherds are pastors. They like to protect and provide. They nurture spiritual development and foster loving community among God's people. And then teachers naturally explain and organize. They inspire deeper understanding of God's word and life in his kingdom. So which one of those gifts might be a gift God has given you? I know many in our congregation have worked through the book, Find Your Place, to see what spiritual gifts you have. And and I hope you're beginning to use those gifts. If you know what your gifts are, I hope you're starting to plug in and use those gifts. If you haven't, I would encourage you to take time to discover what your gifts are this week. So there's an easy website to go to. They have an online spiritual gift assessment of givepassionstory.com. And you can fill out and begin to explore what your spiritual gifts might be. And once you start to figure out what your gifts you have, jump on a serve team and start serving. Because the best way to really find your gifts is to put them to use and see what volunteer roles match those gifts. And you want to see which uh, roles that you're in, you're both fruitful and fulfilled. That's the winning combination. And once you find that combination, serving somewhere where you're both fruitful and fulfilled, you can be sure you're using your spiritual gifts for the advancement of God's kingdom. You have a gift, and it's important that you use it. But now one of the things I've encountered, here's one of the thoughts I had about spiritual gifts, is, is sometimes in the church, believers, they shy away from involvement or serving on a serve team because they see faults in a church. But ironically, the fact that a person sees something missing probably means it's their gift that's missing. Isn't that funny? So if you're seeing something missing, it's because God has given you a gift that you aren't yet using. So we're never going to be all that this church is meant to be until everyone is using their gift for God's kingdom purposes. Because you are gifted. There's no one else like you. And so we're depending on everyone to find their gift, to discover their gift, and use it. We, we aren't all, uh, we've been given natural gifts, spiritual gifts, and through Holy Spirit baptism, the third category is supernatural gifts. Here's what Paul writes to another church in Corinth. He writes about these supernatural gifts. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So when Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave us spiritual gifts, and then he instructs his followers to wait in Jerusalem until they are filled with the Holy Spirit, something we call Holy Spirit baptism. You can find in the New Testament uh, uh, a book of Acts chapter 2 where this happens, and then you can find other places throughout Acts where you see this occurring. Believers are being saved, baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, oftentimes with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And so this is something we encourage every believer to seek at Connection Point Church. And I know sometimes we get questions about Holy Spirit baptism, so I encourage you. We've got a great space online with wonderful messages from great ministers answering questions about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we invite you to visit those at uh, connectionpointchurch.org, Holy Spirit. And the reason we encourage people to seek the Holy Spirit baptism is so that they have access to all the gifts that God has given us. Not only spiritual gifts, but supernatural gifts. Those that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because Paul is clear in this passage that God can empower any one of these gifts and any believer as he sees fit. Uh, I was thinking of examples of this uh, in my own life. So I was uh, talking with a congregant a couple of weeks ago. And in conversation, the, the, the member of our church said something. And immediately the Lord gave me a word of knowledge to say, yes, that's me. I didn't say anything in the moment, but a couple of days later, I said, man, when you were talking about this, I knew that that was exactly what God was saying yes for you. And that's called a word of knowledge. Uh, it was a couple of months ago, we were dealing with a situation at the church, and so somebody had called and was trying to talk me through some of what they were dealing with. And so as they're talking, then I'm praying and praying, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom in how to handle this. And God, sure enough, and there's a difference in terms of experience and divine wisdom. And if you've ever had that, you know the difference. And, but I'll, often, I'll tell you this, whenever the Lord gives me that, I write that down because I know that wasn't me and I want to remember that. Because it's wisdom beyond my experience of how we can handle certain situations. Shelly and I have prayed with people for healing. Maybe they're dealing with infertility. And we've seen people have kids that otherwise were told by doctors they wouldn't have kids. But those gifts are given as God sees fit according to the moment at hand. Because I prayed with people who weren't healed in that moment. But all I know is we surrender to the Spirit, say, God, whatever you want to do through us, that's what we want you to do. Those are supernatural gifts. So an easy chart to remember those three different things. We've got natural gifts, gifts given to all people for the mutual benefit of all creation because we have a good heavenly Father. And I would say this, even natural gifts, when you become a follower of Jesus, can become spiritually motivated and charged. So maybe you've got a teaching gift that's a natural gift, but now God supercharges that supernaturally. Spiritual gifts. So those gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher given to all believers when they put their faith in Jesus and they obediently follow him. And then supernatural gifts. Gifts given after Holy Spirit baptism according to the situation and according to what God sees fit. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, if you were to keep reading chapter 12, Paul calls these higher gifts. So those are ways to look at the gifts that were offered in Jesus. And I want to encourage us this morning, when we use our spiritual and supernatural gifts, it's like going to work with our dad. 
Uh, within a few years of, of getting married, Shelly and I moved up to the Chicago area where my parents were living at the time. My dad was a lead pastor of Stone Church. And we moved up to that area. We were teaching as public school teachers during the week, but also working with my parents in ministry. And so when I was thinking about us using spiritual gifts, I was thinking about that time in our lives for several years we got to work with my dad in ministry alongside him. And this is what it's like when you use your spiritual gifts. Because guess what? God's at work. God is at work in this church. God is at work in our community. And when we use our spiritual gifts, it's like we're going to work with our dad, which is a privilege. It really is. And so I want us to consider using our spiritual gifts that all we're doing is we're going to work with dad that day. That's what we're doing. So will you use the gifts you've been given? Will you start working with your dad? Will you ask Jesus to be baptized in the spirit so that you have access to supernatural gifts? You can sign up to serve online, connectionpointchurch.org, serve. Our goal here is truly to equip you to be authentic followers of Jesus. And so all that you've seen today is resources to say, we want you to be all that God intends you to be in the kingdom of God. That's it. No benefit of ours, it's, it's unto the Lord. Why? Because it's always about his glory. That's what we're about here, and we invite you to be a part of that. There truly is a place of service for everyone within the church and outside these walls. And I love that so many have plugged in that way. We've been given gifts by Jesus for Jesus. So let's discover what those gifts are and put them to use. Because in Christ, we are heard and we are gifted. So today as we close, when I ask who you are, here's what we get to declare. It's getting longer and longer. In Christ, I'm a blessed saint who can endure affliction and who is appreciated, saved, reconciled, heard, and gifted. Isn't that an awesome? Look at who we are in Christ. Look at who we are. What an incredible list. In Christ, we are all of these things. And I know sometimes these points as we move through them, maybe they challenge us a little bit because it's who we are, but then we're meant to live it out. But my hope is, is that this becomes an incredibly encouraging series as we see who we are in Christ. Who are we in Christ? Look at these wonderful things that we've got here. It should be incredibly encouraging to us in a time where we've been maybe struggling with some of the things we've been dealing with in the world in which we live. But in Christ, look at who we are. So I'm going to invite us to stand so I can ask you this morning who you are because we want to make sure that we're living this out. So as we say who we are, then the expectation is, is I give a blessing at the end of every service because it says that it puts a seal of Christ upon you. So then we're meant to walk this out during the week. So when I ask who you are, again, you've got helps on the screen, so hopefully you can see it. All right, you ready? Who are you? Amen. Amen. In Christ, we are blessed saints who can endure affliction and who are appreciated, saved, reconciled, heard, and gifted. What an awesome thing. So while you're standing, I want to ask our music team is going to come and play and close us out. Are you here today, but you realize you're not living up to your God-given potential? But today, you'd like to make a decision to follow Jesus and start living as a blessed saint who can endure affliction and who's appreciated, saved, reconciled, heard, and gifted. Because right now, you can make that decision to follow Jesus and live according to the promises he has for you, of which they are many. So with your head bowed in this, room, in this room this morning, who here today would say, that's me. I want to live up to my God-given potential. 
I want to devote my life to Jesus and live according to him. Who today would say that's me? Just raise your hand and I want to pray with you before we leave today. Just encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Lord, we just thank you that you are willing to come to show us how to live, to teach us what it is to live in your kingdom, to die on the cross, Lord, and to take our place so that we could have access to the Father who is good. And then, Jesus, that you wouldn't just leave us alone, but that you would ascend so you could send us your Holy Spirit that you would give us gifts, spiritual gifts and supernatural gifts beyond those natural gifts that you give to all man. And so God, I just pray for each and every one in this room, those joining us online, I pray Jesus that you help us to, to live out the life that you have for us, the good works you've prepared for us. I pray Jesus we step into those, that we use our gifts to advance your kingdom and find meaning and purpose in life that's everlasting. Jesus, I pray for those in this room that, that are maybe still just exploring their faith in you. I pray, God, that they would be firm in their faith. God, give them strength. May they be confident in who they are in your kingdom as a son and daughter of the king. And Jesus, I pray as we close in song that you would help us to respond in, in a matter that's, that's, uh, that you've spoken to our hearts. Help us in that way, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team members. This is one of those, be ready in season and out of season. I have not told them or asked them to come. But I'm going to ask our prayer team members, would you mind to come as we close in song this morning? And here's the reason I'm asking you to come, prayer team members, is if you're here today and uh, you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you would say, you know what? I'd like to seek that gift. I'd like to seek supernatural gifts. Then I just encourage you. Of course, you can just ask for that right where you're at and say, Jesus, as my Holy Spirit baptizer, I ask you to baptize me in your spirit. But if you'd like to pray with one of our prayer team members and say, you know what, I just want to pray that the Lord fill me with his spirit. Uh, I invite you to step out from where you're at and come and pray with one of our prayer team members as we close today. Jesus has given you gifts or access to gifts. If you're in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. And if you're in Christ, you have access to more. So I would always say, who doesn't want more? Let's go after more. Let's go after all that God has for us in his name. So either sing, uh, close as we sing, or come, move out of your seats and come forward for prayer this morning.